Good evening. Tonight we are continuing um, Built to Last, which is a series we're doing walking through the Sermon on the Mount. We believe that to make disciples, Jesus told us to baptize them, first of all, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then to teach them to observe everything that he had commanded them. And, and that's what we're doing as we're going through this series, going through the Sermon on the Mount, so we can learn the things that Jesus taught us. And tonight, you get two for the price of one. Tonight, we have Ryan Mobley and, and Tim Wildman both delivering tonight some lessons. Well, all right. We are excited to be here. Like, like, uh, like Dan was just saying, it's going to be a kind of a tag team tonight. Uh, so we're excited about doing that. Tim and I have been poring over this passage um, over, for the last few weeks together and really mining out some good truths um, that, 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 that Jesus taught uh, that we were really looking forward to teaching you all tonight. If you have your Bible, please get your Bibles out. We are in Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to be looking at the first six verses. It says this. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot, and turn to attack you. It's God's word for us. Let's pray together. Father God, um, we just come to you tonight, and we are thankful for the gift of your word, that we get to open our scriptures, that we get to, to read and hear words that you said when you walked on this planet, um, that's helping us to grow, that's helping us to become more like you, to grow up into you, to live this life of discipleship, following you as our master and teacher and Lord. Uh, so, Father, I just pray that you just give me uh, and Tim both your words to speak, um, that you teach us all and help us grow, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so this is really probably one of the most quoted scriptures um, in the Bible, I would say, and probably the most misinterpreted, to tell you the truth, because um, everyone loves verse 1, and they typically don't read the next five verses of Matthew chapter 7. I remember a couple stories. Uh, one, I was in, I had to be in high school. Um, do any of you remember the Cornerstone Music Festival? Uh, yeah, big, like, four-day festival, Christian music. It was, used to be up in Chicago. They moved it down to Bushnell. And I remember, I used to go there a lot, uh, and I remember being there with my youth group or some friends or something, and we were walking from, like, our tent over to, like, the staging areas, and we were just talking about something. I didn't even know what we were talking about, but we must have brought up something about somebody or, or maybe a band that I don't know what we were talking about, but this random guy, you know, was walking by us, and he just overheard us, a part of what we were saying. He's like, judge not. You know, I'm like, who are you? I don't even know you. You don't even know what we're talking about. You know, and, uh, and, and then there was, I remember when I was in college. Um, this was back in the, around mid-90s. And I, we were sitting in our student commons, and a few of us were there talking about um, musicians and talking about bands and music. And I remember back in that time, there was, a, there was this kind of um, shock rock guy named Marilyn Manson. I don't know if you guys ever heard of him. Um, and, you know, and we were saying some things about him, and this other guy who was sitting there in the student commons piped up and kind of started getting on us about, oh, you don't know who he, what he's really about. You don't know his heart. And I'm like, have you seen what this guy dresses like? And you ever, have you heard what this guy sings about? I mean, we're not judging him. He's kind of putting it out there for everybody. But the whole idea is, you know, it, for some reason, this is, this is just a really big thing. It's a really sensitive thing. And this is a verse that people have thrown around a lot without really understanding the biggest context of what it's talking about. As we go into this whole idea of judging, 
okay? Um, we need to start off with a comprehensive view of what the Bible says about judging in general. Because it's a lot bigger than just this passage. We need to look at the whole counsel of God. One way that we get right interpretation of our scriptures is letting the Bible interpret itself. We use other scriptures to help us understand what other scriptures say. So let's just look at a few. This is not exhaustive, but the Bible has a lot to say about judging. Proverbs chapter 31 verse 9 says, Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Clearly telling us it's okay to judge in this passage. We look back at uh, Leviticus chapter uh, 19, verse 15. It says this, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. A positive context of judgment. Oh, well, what, you say, Ryan, those are Old Testament things. Well, okay, let's go to the other side of the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 3 through, 3, 3 through 5, and then we're going to jump down to 9 through 13. Paul writes this to the Corinthian church. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. He's talking about um, a, a sin issue that was going, going on in the church, a sexual sin issue. He said, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the, for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Okay, we could teach for a long time on those passages, but let's just keep going. Look down at verse 9. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not to even eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So again, we see in the life of the church, there is a proper context and time and way that we are to bear judgments on each other. One more in uh, James. Chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. It says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one, one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and, and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? So here's what I want us to understand. I want us to understand that the Bible has a lot to say on judgment. And we cannot reduce it to any one single verse. So what we're going to do tonight is really look at this passage, the heart of the passage of what Jesus is teaching us, but we also need to keep that in perspective of the whole counsel of God, because this is all the Word of God. Amen? So that's what we're going to do. So um, the Greek... For judge here, krino is the root word. And it basically means this. It means to condemn or discern. It means to make a decision. And as we've seen, as we looked throughout a number of scriptures, the context matters. Okay? So hopefully that's kind of broken open your mind a little bit about this whole bigger concept of judgment. And what we're going to do now is really start looking at some of the heart and attitude that's underneath all this. And Tim's going to help us out with this next section. Thanks, Ryan. And when Jesus is speaking these verses in Matthew, our current definition of judge doesn't really paint the full picture of those words. Because as Ryan was talking about earlier, judging uh, can seem like a very negative connotation. And some of the stories that he told, they were very negative. But we also don't want to say, well, we don't want to judge somebody because our goal and our, our job is to righteously judge. 
So I'm going to talk a little bit about legalism. Now, legalism is the focus on extra rules of law, outward appearance and performance. So when we judge people legalistically, that's when we're really self-imposing our own thoughts on them. We're judging them by our own natural inclinations. And that's when I think it can get very, very difficult when we're judging people based on maybe one line that we hear from them or one thing that we've heard about them because that can really completely mess up an opinion that we have of them. And, and that's not what God is saying in these passages. That's not what God is saying to judge people legalistically. But that can sometimes be our natural inclination. And it can be very self-centered. And you can think, well, everybody thinks the same as me. Everybody thinks the same as me. And so they have these same thoughts. And when they do this, that, that we're on the same track. But we're all very, very different people. And we don't want to judge people just by um, their past or by something that they've done. But let's judge them by what we know of them. And when we were talking through this series, Built to Last, um, we were all part of the sermon prep team, and I really wanted to talk about this evening of judging. I wanted to talk about maybe some of my own experiences about judgment. Because when I was growing up, I had, I had a relatively simple childhood, really no big trials or tribulations that I went through. So I just assumed in my naive head that, Everybody has had the same childhood. Everybody grew up in a Christian home. Everybody had an incredible family structure, incredible parents, siblings that they didn't want <laughs> to just physically hurt, right? But when I got into high school, when I got into public high school, I saw the brokenness. I saw the hurt that people came from. I saw the, the difficulty that they had in their family structures of divorce, and it helped me realize that maybe, maybe I wasn't doing it out loud, but in my head, I was judging these people. I was judging them. Some of these people were Christians. Some of them weren't. Some of them came to my youth group. But I was, I was judging them because I said, well, you didn't have the same lifestyle as me growing up. You didn't go through the same thing, so you don't know me. And obviously, I'm a good person, and you're not. And that was very, very prideful of me. That was very hypocritical of me. And that was very legalistic of me. So when I got into college, that really hit home. That really just emphasized maybe how easy my life was growing up or some presumptions that I had about people. Because I, I was on the same floor as guys that were going into ministry, that wanted to do missions, that wanted to be high-level educators, that wanted to go out in the business world and affect people for Christ. But they had a past. They had things that they went through. They had broken homes. Uh, even some guys my senior year, some leaders on the floor, had intense sexual histories. But I realized that we were in that same place. We were pursuing God with all that we had. And that my thoughts, my legalistic thoughts about them, had no place there. And I've, I've had to catch myself doing that, and I've, I've let pride get into my own life. So preaching this message and working on this with Ryan the last couple weeks, <laughs> I've really preached to myself, because this is something that I've really had to work on, and some things that I've really needed to go through in my own life, because this is, this is a challenge for me, is being judgmental. In John 7, 24, John 7, 24 reads, and it'll show up here on the back screen, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Judge with righteous judgment. And sometimes we hesitate to judge others because we do not want to be a hypocritical person or get wrapped up in other people's businesses. But we're not supposed to judge in a way that's putting people down, that's condemning them because of things that they've gone through. But our job, as it says in the scripture here, is to judge with righteous judgment, is to judge with a right heart, because we're not the judge. God is ultimately the judge, but our goal is to sharpen each other, is to keep each other accountable in this as well. 
If we are not to hypocritically judge others, others, we should also not ignore their faults and pretend that everything is okay. So there's this fine line between hypocrisy and letting your friends, your family, people close to you hanging out to dry. Because if, if we're going through, if you're going through trials and tribulations, if you see other people going through things, it is your judge to step in and help them, to righteously judge them, to be accountable, and to help them during this time of need. So there is a fine line between criticism and accountability. And in 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, man look at, looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that's what, that's what I want to encourage you guys in tonight, is to look at the heart. Don't, don't look at uh, the person down the road and say, well, they don't make as much money as me, or they're going through things as me, so maybe I don't want to be like them, or I'm better than them. Let, let's not make their issues smaller, or larger to make ours smaller. So Ryan is going to come through, and we're going to really dive into each one of these verses. So Ryan is going to come up and talk about these first couple verses of Matthew 7, and he's going to talk to us how we should be judging people. Yes, question? Criticism and accountability. All right. I feel like we should, like, tag or something. (laughs) So, okay, let's, let's look at, um, let's start off, let's look back at the first couple verses here. Judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. So, so really, when we look at verse 1, verse 1 is a warning regarding the measure and the motive that we use on others. And the warning is the measure and motive that we use on others can and will be used back on us. Okay, so really, verse 1 is a warning, is what it is. Um, And as I was looking at this, it really is a reflection of what Jesus is going to teach on in just a few more verses in in verse 12. It's what we commonly know as the golden rule. It says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. You know, and I think we would be, all be very quick to say, well, you know, I, I want to be loved. I want to be given grace, right? And so, and so when, you, when you start looking at the golden rule and you look at what Jesus says in, in uh, chapter 7, verse 1, we start to get a picture of the heart that he is drawing us toward, the picture of motive that he is painting, Okay? Um, I would also be remiss to mention that you know, as, as Paul unpacks this whole idea of fulfilling the law, like Jesus mentions in the Golden Rule, Paul met, says in Romans chapter 13, verse 10, he talks about loving your neighbor as the fulfillment of the law. This whole idea that we love each other, that we serve, that we sacrifice, that we encourage, that we give, and we do that because of the love that was given to us. So really, this is all about motive. It's all about motive. Is your motive, your wanting the best for your neighbor, is that your motive? Is your motive in confronting somebody, you sincerely wanting their best, you wanting God's best in their life, Or is your motive to simply force your view of what you think is right? So really, it comes down to this whole idea of, are you wanting their godliness? Or are you fighting for your opinion and your comfort, maybe? That's really the battle that's going on here. You see, Jesus is really talking about this whole idea of a judgmental attitude. We're going to keep saying this over and over about heart and motive and attitude. This whole idea of having a critical spirit. You know, are, are, we, are we people that are looking for what's wrong versus celebrating what's right, being on the lookout for what's right? You know, are we looking for evidences of where God's grace is at work in someone's life? Or do we just see how much farther they have to go? And that's what we keep talking to them about. 
And I think we would, also, we would all say, we don't want people treating us that way. We, we don't want everyone just kind of looking at our shortcomings. We, 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 we want people to celebrate where God's at work because when we get that celebration of where God's at work, that helps us push past those shortcomings and keep growing in our godliness. How do you view yourself is really a lot with this. If you're feeling that you're maybe a person that carries a critical spirit with them, a judgmental attitude about them, that says something about how you view yourself. You probably view yourself, if that, if that describes you, as really, you're a self-righteous person. Your view of what's right is, your, is the standard in your life, and you impose that, as Tim was saying, on other people. Which really gets us into verse 2. It says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged, and with the measure you use it, it'll be measured to you. You see, when you hear that, there's an, this critical spirit that we so easily carry will always invite relational conflict. It's inescapable. If you carry a critical spirit, if you model a judgmental attitude, it will always invite and create relational conflict. Your judging is going to be judged right back to you, and soon you're in this back and forth, and it's just a battle. It becomes a battle of wills. There's no encouragement going on. There's discouragement and destruction going on. So, how do you respond? Let me just ask you. How do you respond when someone points out areas of sin in your life, areas of growth in your life, areas of weakness in your life? How do you respond to that? Do, do, you, do you get defensive? Do the walls go up? You know, do you, um, do you want to point something back out at them? You know, you're shooting arrows right back at them. Do you decide, just, I'm, gonna, I'm going to avoid this person now, I want to deal with this? How do you respond when someone confronts you on something? I mean, let's put their motive aside. We can't control other people's motives, but we can control ours. So how do you respond to that? How you respond is going to reflect the condition of your own heart. Okay? You see, Jesus is condemning having a critical spirit that is fueled by the pride of self-righteousness because it exposes a lack of humility and exposes a lack of sincere love for other people. Like you said, a critical spirit always invites conflict. And I'll say this, if you feel like you're always surrounded by conflict, you might need to start asking yourself some hard questions about the condition of your own heart. This is where the Sermon on the Mount always kind of gets messy with us, doesn't it? You know, because Jesus, he's exposing heart conditions with us. All right? So, these first two verses, really, we need to be careful how we judge, and we need to be aware of the conditions of our heart and the attitudes that we bring. So, Tim's going to walk us through the next uh, few verses, uh, in verses 3 and 4, and really, um, things that we look at. Yeah, verses 3 and 4, we're talking about what do you see? I'm not just holding this randomly. This is obviously an illustration. Um, but verses 3 and 4 say, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? So, I've always had a fascination with this verse. Uh, when I was growing up, obviously uh, Jesus is using hyperbole in this, in this passage here. So I went out today and I got a plank, right? This plank is nasty, it's dirty, it's bent up, it'll probably give me a sliver if I hold it in the wrong place, right? But imagine the, the illustration that Jesus has in this passage but it's designed to get our attention, correct? So just imagine a speck in somebody else's eye, but you have this plank or this log in your own eye. So this is a whole passage on self-examination. 
This is a whole passage on self-examination. So often, do we minimize our own weaknesses and issues and put more emphasis on other people? Sometimes we see our issues as something that we've just lived with for forever. We've, we've understood, we just realize about ourselves, yeah, I'm bad at this, and we just kind of minimize those issues. And in minimizing those issues, we, we expect, oh, this other person has this huge problem, has this huge problem, it's nasty, it's dirty, it's caused them a lot of harm and turmoil, and we just see our issue is just a little speck. It's nothing more than just a little issue that we can, we can take care of easily. But is the issue really the issue? Is that issue of the speck and us just minimizing it, it's not a big deal when it's actually a plank. And I think we have a video back there that we're gonna show you that talks about, is the issue really the issue? So is the issue really the issue? <laughs> is, is, that, is that thing that you, that you can't see in your own head, that thing that's invisible to you, is, is that hurting other people? Is that compromising your own way of life? Right? So obviously, again, hyperbole, nobody's going to be there with a nail in their head. But that's what Jesus is saying in this passage here. We're minimizing our own issues and saying, well, that, that's not really the thing. My sweater is getting snagged, but obviously it's not about this three-inch nail sticking out of my head. Right? So I want to ask you, how aware are you of your stuff? How aware are you of your stuff? Now, that stuff is going to look different for everybody. That stuff could be um, something that maybe you or your significant other battle about all the time. Maybe it's something that um, you know that affects people or the way that you interact or an attitude that you have. But our stuff is very different. But our problem is if we minimize those, if we think of it as just only a little speck, and we think, oh, well, everybody will just deal <laughs> with the nail in my head or the plank in my eye, that's when we lose our own self-awareness. And, and, we're, and we're judging them because, well, they obviously have big problems and I have no problems. So I, I wanna talk about a little bit about self-awareness here. Jesus calls us to self-examination. And do we practice that? Do we practice self-examination? Do we? How, hold each other accountable. Do you talk to your friends and say, when I had that conversation with the person the other day, was I being rude? And I know I have this conversation. Sometimes I'm not always self-aware. And I talk to my wife. I talked to Elisa about this. I said, did I say something stupid? Did, did I say something to offend anybody? Or should I have said this in a different way? So I'm learning that in my whole four months of marriage. <laughs> so experienced in this. <laughs> But I'm, learn I'm trying to learn this early on to avoid conflict, to avoid running into these situations and them getting worse and worse. And all of a sudden, I go from having a plank in my eye to a speck in my eye to not even seeing those, to being blind to my own issues. And while Jesus did not tell us to cease being fallible men and women, but he asks us to stop trying to be God to stop trying to judge other people. We all have problems in our life. We all have things that we try to keep each other accountable with. And that's why even in this church we have, we have small groups. We have people that will be intentionally in your life that will help sharpen you, that will help you see those flaws, that help you see those fallibilities so that you're not blinded to those anymore. And in doing some research for this message, um, in a commentary, I ran into this, this quote by a man named D.A. Carson. And it's not going to be on the screen, but hear me out on this. So this is, this is a guy who's been a theologian for a lot of years, uh, about 70 years old, and this is some insight that he had about judging. He said, I used to think that those who most needed Matthew 7, 1 through 5 were young people, especially students. They are struggling to establish their own identities, trying to come to terms with new ideas. These new ideas are quickly espoused and stoutly defended 
or is quickly rejected and unthinkingly mocked. But young people and students are far from being the only ones who go through periods of identity crisis and of critical exposure to new thinking. Now this is where it gets good, hang on. Older people, fearful of their positions, concerned with their prestige, and often disturbed by what they take to be the lack of productivity in their life, often become singularly defensive, rigid, judgmental, intolerant, and even nasty and petty. The young, at least, may grow out of it, but for the old to reject such a long-established pattern of behavior may take a dramatic display of divine intervention, perhaps in the form of a crushing, devastating experience that engenders humility. Now, what he's saying in there isn't saying, well, young people are just naive and they, and they don't know what's going on. They'll learn when they're older. But it's saying that no matter what age we are, we need to be constantly checking ourselves. We need to constantly be self-examining ourselves and saying, all right, people in my life, okay, God, what do I need to work on? And he's saying in here, the older that we get, and this is a guy that's in his later part of life too, he's saying, no matter how old we get, we need to be checking ourselves. Otherwise, that's going to lead to rigidity, judgmental, uh, any of these other negative things in our life. So no matter what age we are, we need that accountability. We need to be talking to people and talking to God and saying, God, what is the plank in my eye? What is the nail in my forehead? And be just really checking ourselves and self-examining. In Galatians 6, 3 reads, For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And this is, again, another, another verse about self-awareness. Because sometimes pride can get in our way. And again, when I was preparing this message, I was preparing to preach this to myself, too. Because God has called us into a place where we are right now, but it's not our own works that gets us here. It's God speaking through us. It's God giving us these opportunities. And if we let our pride get in the way... God can take it away just like that. So who are we to judge somebody else and think that we are so grandiose, that we are so large and in charge that we're, when we're actually nothing? So growth and self-awareness. Growth and self-awareness is a key sign of growing as a disciple. Now this one really hit home for me as well. Because I, I want to be more self-aware. And not, not just to affect the people in my own life, but to grow in the knowledge, in the strength, and in the will of God. Because if we're not practicing this continually, no matter if we're 15 or 90, and, and I want to encourage you guys who have kids or grandkids, instill this into them at an early age too. They need to be self-aware. They need to be knowing Okay, what does God have for me? How can I grow? How can I be the best person that I can be? And we need people in our lives to help us see our flaws. And many times we live our lives unchecked until people help us open our eyes to our own patterns. And I know for, for myself, I'm a very, very patterned person. I'll, I'll do the same thing every morning. I'll even... Even with something as simple as like food, I'll put it in the same order or in the same place. I'm a very patterned person. But sometimes that can lead to rigidity and it can lead to bulldozing my way through a situation because this is my pattern. And if people get in the way, then that's their own problem. And that's pride coming in again. That's pride coming in. And God does not call us to live that way. He calls us to constantly be judging ourselves, to constantly be checking ourselves in these ways. And I want to encourage you guys to avoid doing this. Making other people's problems seem larger will minimize your own. So when you're, when you're judging other people, when God calls us to righteously judge other people, 
That doesn't mean that we can maximize their issues and say, this guy over here has a lot of issues in his life, or this girl or my friend has a lot of issues in their life. (laughs) But I'm only going through these little things. But I want to encourage you, those little things will grow and grow and grow without self-examination and being self-aware. And as I talked about earlier, in my many, many days and weeks and four months of marriage, I have learned that self-awareness is very key. And Elisa has really helped me understand that because for, for a couple of years, I lived by myself. And if you guys know me, I've, I've been here as a young adults pastor for coming on two and a half years. And my last two years of college, I lived on my own by myself with no roommates. So for a period of about three and a half, four years, I did my own thing. I did my own thing, and I came down here. I moved down to Springfield by myself with my own job, and I really established this independence. But I had to get a rude awakening when when Elisa came in, and I was like, oh, okay, well, I obviously can't be doing that anymore. I can't be interacting like this. I can't be saying these things because I need to grow up a little bit. I need to understand that there's other people in my life that I need to be respecting, and I need to be self-aware in order to not hurt their feelings or cause angst um, between people or between others and myself. So I've learned that I can be brash and insensitive at times, but that's why I need to be constantly checking, what is the plank? What is the plank in my own eye? Not the speck, not the thing that, oh, well, it's, it's their problem, it's, it's her problem, it's his problem, it's not my problem. But I need to be constantly checking myself in this. So the key for developing in these areas of self-awareness is by laying down our pride, laying down our pride, and being humble before God and others. Now, this is a big challenge for, for me, maybe guys in general, because guys can be just very prideful at times, and I've seen this um, over my whole 24 years of life. But I've, I've seen this where um, guys, guys, we're taught to be prideful, and hey, we can do this, we can take on the world, but sometimes often we can bulldoze people. And in just a second here, Ryan is going to come up and talk to us about how to be humble, how to confront others in a humble way and not saying, you, over, you have these problems, take care of them, and move on. Sometimes we want to say that, but there's a way to do that in a humble way where we're not bulldozing people and we're laying down our own pride in this. So Ryan's going to come up here and talk about verses 5 and 6. Okay. So, I hope you keep, I, I hope you're clear on hearing the common message that's going through these verses, right? Um, we keep talking about attitude, we keep talking about motive, we keep talking about, you know, self-awareness, and really, the, the beautiful thing about what Jesus does um, in these passages is really, he sets up an issue, um, he confronts us, and he also provides a solution of how we walk and grow through that, which is where we start getting to in verse 5. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So, so really, um, this whole idea of dealing with our sin before we're dealing with somebody else's sin. So there's two things we're just going to look at real quickly in how to do this. The, the first thing we have to address has kind of been hinted at a few times is how do we view our own sin? How do we view our sin? I think there's three primary ways that we tend to view our sin. Um, the first one is that it, it, we may just be ignorant of it. I mean, we may be doing something and we just don't realize what we're doing. It's a blind spot for us. And, and the, this could be as a result of, of how we grew up. This could be a result of our environment. It could be a result of bad teaching that we got. I mean, it could be a result of a lot of things. Um, but and oftentimes with sin, sometimes we just don't even know, right? And this is a huge reason of why we need community. This is why we need each other to help, to help, to help us show each other these areas in our life. So we, we just might be ignorant of it. Another one, you know, Tim was mentioning it quite a bit, um, is we minimize it. And honestly, this is what most of us do most of the time. We minimize our sin. 
We don't understand the gravity of our sin. Right? We compare, we compare ourselves to other people, so we begin to rank it. And it's always e- easy to find a worse sinner than you, isn't it? It's too easy to do. And here's what I'm going to tell you. What you minimize in yourself is what you maximize in somebody else. The sin in other people that really gets you is probably an area in your life that you need to give some attention to. You know, we tend to love grace and forgiveness, don't we? Until we have to give it to somebody. Then it becomes a little hard to do. That's kind of what this is flushing out. The third thing, that, the third way that we, that we view sin is that we, we maximize it. And this is where everything is a big deal. You know, and we, we, have, we, we, we have no good gauge of this. I mean, it's really exposing some, some insecurity and some immaturity. And here's the danger. You know what? We can never make sin stronger than grace. We have to remember that grace always wins, right? God's forgiveness, the work of the cross, is stronger. Always stronger. So the first part of really getting this, um, getting the, the log, the plank out of our eye is really, really dealing with how we view sin. And the next thing, I, you know, the, how, what, I want us walk to, what I want us to walk through real quick is really this whole re- repentance of how we... What does this process look like? What does the process of repentance look, look like? Um, real quickly, the first, the first step of repenting of sin is really adopting this attitude of humility. We've been beating this word up a lot tonight. But this is where it starts. There is no repentance without humility. The second thing we need to do as we walk through repentance of sin, this is dealing with the plank in our eye, remember, is we need to remember. And what are we remembering? We're remembering the gospel. We remember who God is. We remember who he has made us to be. We remember that the penalty for sin has been paid for on the cross. We remember that we are a child of God. You see, this gives us the confidence where Hebrews says so we can boldly approach the throne of grace, right? We have to remember. If we don't remember the right things, we can never rightly repent because it will be rooted in fear, not in love. The next step we do is we confess then. Confession simply means that we agree with God. Yes, you call that sin. I'm going to call it sin, and I'm doing it. You're agreeing with God. That's what confession is. You're agreeing with Him. The next one is this. Is you're, you need to identify the sin under the sin. You need to understand that every action of sin that you do, that, that I do, the words we say, the actions we do, they reflect a belief in our hearts. Out of the overflow of the, mouth, of, of the heart, the mouth speaks. So everything we do publicly exposes something that's rooted in our hearts. You know, so when we sin, we are expressing a point of disbelief in the gospel. And that's what we need to get to the root of to really see transformation in our life. Where am I not really trusting Jesus? Because if I'm not really trusting Jesus, I'm going to do what is right in my own eyes. Which, by definition, is sin. Okay? the way the Because that will lead to death the Bible tells us. So we need to identify where we're not trusting Jesus. What is the sin underneath the sin? The lie is a sin, yes, but why did I lie? What fear do I have that causes me to speak that lie? That I'm not sitting confident in my position with Christ and I can deal truthfully with things. You see what I'm saying? Follow me? Okay. Um, this is a big thing. I mean, we could teach on this for weeks. I would love to sometime. So um, the next step of repentance is this whole idea of turning, right? The, the, little, the literal kind of interpretation of repentance is changing your mind, changing your ways, going this way, but now going this way. You turn, yes, from the sinful action, but you also turn toward the right belief, right? 
You got to turn toward the, from the wrong belief to the right belief. Turn from the wrong action to the right to the right action. And then this last one is that you ask for, and then you receive forgiveness. The forgiveness of Christ that's promised to you. First John one nine type of stuff. We confess our sins. He is faithful to forgive us. Right? We're, we're, we're walking into our position. We are forgiven people. This is a quick process of, forget, of, of repentance. So as we are dealing with these planks in our eye, right, we, we need to be honest with how we view our sin and look at it in the right way, but then really walk through the right way of repentance. You got me? Okay, last verse, and then we're going to wrap up. This last verse is tricky. It's tricky. Jesus says, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Here's what I think is ironic. What's ironic is Jesus started off this section of saying, judge not, lest you not be judged, and he ends the section with a judgment. Because he's pointing out people who are pigs and dogs, right? He's making a judgment here. This is why we have to really look holistically at this stuff. You know, at first glance, it seems awkward, but what Jesus is doing is teaching on relational aspects of discipleship. This whole passage is about relational aspects of discipleship. You see, as fellow Christians, we are called to confront sin in each other's lives that we would grow in godliness. Right? That's our motive for each other. That's wanting the best for someone. And we are to do this in a humble and encouraging way. Now, we also have times when we need to confront those of the world. Now, Ryan, didn't you say in 1 Corinthians you're not supposed to judge outsiders? That's God's job to judge outsiders? Well, yes, it is. But as we preach the gospel, we still call sin, sin, don't we? We're saying what God has said is sin. We are judging with right judgment, as Jesus said in John chapter 7, that Tim read for us earlier. We judge with right judgment. And the only true right judgment is God's judgment about what is right and what is wrong. We just proclaim it and we trust the Spirit to do His work in people's lives. You see, by definition of the gospel, we must talk about sin. And we submit to God's judgment on what is right and what is wrong, and we communicate that and we personalize it to other people, but we are still doing this in a humble way because we know we're forgiven sinners, right? This whole idea of dogs and pigs, we understand, you know, when Jesus is talking about dogs, he's not talking about your pet fluffy at home. It's not who's talking about. Dogs were wild animals back in this time. Pigs were unclean animals. Now, the, the, the hard truth of, is this. There are some people who remain prideful, no matter how humble you are, no matter how helpful you try to be. They don't want to receive feedback. They don't want accountability. They don't want to hear the truth. They keep pushing back on you, right? You guys had people like that in your lives that you know about? And there are times, I think, what this verse is teaching us, there are times that some people who remain this way that we need to use discernment. There are times when we have to walk away and we have to entrust them to the Lord. Matthew 18, verse 17. This is talking about church discipline. When you confront someone in sin in the church, Jesus says if he refuses to listen to them, people who are confronting you, the small group, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. A Gentile and tax collector, someone who needs to hear the truth of the gospel. This person may not even be saved. They need to hear the saving grace of the gospel to transform their heart. But then in, verse, in chapter 10, verse 14, this is when Jesus was sending out the 72. He says that if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. You see, we need to follow God in obedience 
because how beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. You know, faith comes through hearing. We walk out like that. We walk out in the power of the Spirit. We preach the Word. We do it in a humble way, in a bold way, in a powerful way. And we have to leave the results up to God is what we have to do. So, Tim is going to just briefly hit on our main points tonight. We're going to pray and be out of here. Tim, just wrap us up. Yeah, so tonight we had a lot of, a lot of information in these, in these six verses. Um, a couple key takeaways I want to encourage you guys with, and they should be on the back here as well. God's truth is standard. It's not our opinion. God's truth is standard. It's not our opinion. Let God be the ultimate judge of your life and the lives of other people. Number two, examine yourself. Practice the spirit of humility and cast an attitude of criticism. So don't be blinded to your own sins. Don't be blinded to your own sins. Number three, repent of your own sin before confronting others. Make sure you have a heart of understanding and not hypocrisy. Number four, confront others in a spirit of wanting to see them grow in godliness and not to conform to you. So in this one, I want, you, I want to encourage you guys, direct them to God's word. So the whole, whole point of this passage, direct them to God's word and not to the, to the views and the values of flawed people. Because we could be very much in touch with God and hear from him, but the one that's going to guide us is speaking to us through this book. And finally, number five, use discernment in who you confront, and after you have exhausted all options, know when to walk away. So that's what God is telling us in these, uh, Jesus is telling us in these passages here, in this, especially the final verse, is to walk away. We've done our part We've shared with them, we've loved on them, we've given them all that we could, we leave God's word with them, and we walk away so we don't cast any more judgment, we don't bring any more negativity of ourselves, of God, of Christianity in there. So God calls us to righteously judge, and I want to encourage you guys with that tonight. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for these, these verses tonight. God, some, some, some very um, difficult verses to understand at times. But Lord, you've called us to judge righteously, not to be hypocritical, not to bring legalism in, but God, you've called us to be accountable to the people that are around us and to ask you to examine us and to make us the believers, the men and women that you called us to be. Lord, we thank you for each individual that has come in here tonight. Lord, help them to take your word, take this passage, and to apply it into their life this next week. We thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Take care, guys.